0: Please pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we hear one of those parables that for many of us might seem so familiar that we just assume we understand what it's about. One of those stories that tempts us to shut off and tune out because we've heard it so many times before. There are wise bridesmaids and foolish bridesmaids. And when Jesus comes, he will admit you into heaven based on how much oily goodness you have to show for yourself. Be wise and get in. Be foolish and stay out. It's as simple as that. But of course, it's not as simple as that because none of these stories are as simple as that. I may ask, for instance, if any of the bridesmaids in this story seem particularly wise or if any of them seem particularly good. Because if we hear the parable anew and strip away the layers of familiarity, we will soon realize that things don't line up as simply as we expect them to. And we've encountered this phenomenon before because Jesus' definition of what is wise and what is good usually doesn't line up exactly with ours. For instance, in our experience, a good shepherd does not abandon 99% of his sheep to danger to go off and find one troublemaker. And a wise woman does not spend the nine coins she has on time and light and party supplies to find and celebrate the one coin she lost. And a good sower does not just go out and throw the seed everywhere willy-nilly so that three-quarters of it is lost. And a wise merchant doesn't sell everything he has to buy one pearl he particularly fancies but can't eat. And wise bridesmaids know that their job in the wedding production is to be elegant and graceful and so they don't go around lugging jugs of oil with them. Now there you might say, oh wait, but it is wise to be prepared. Well, of course it's wise to be prepared, to be rationally prepared. And they all were that. They all came with lamps full of oil. Now if you came here this morning with the low fuel warning light on in your car, Depending how long you've let it be on and how far you've come, you may have done something foolish. But if you came here this morning making sure the tank was full and that the trunk and the back seat were full of more gallon jugs of gasoline, then we would probably look askance at you. Only a fool drives around with no spare tire, but likewise only a fool drives (coughs) around with four spare tires. When we say be prepared, we mean be prepared for what's likely to happen or what's perhaps second or third most likely to happen. Even the most ardent Boy Scout among us doesn't mean be prepared at all times and in all places for the most ridiculously remote worst-case scenario that might happen. Now, if you go home today and on the way you find yourself, by some crazy collision of circumstances, stranded in a place beyond help, with the tank empty and four flats, you'll be vindicated. But otherwise, all that extra time and money and effort spent on carrying all that extra stuff around is foolishness. When the bridegroom arrives probably some 14 hours late for the wedding banquet, and yet still expects the wedding banquet to go on, that's a crazy worst-case scenario. That's not something anyone could be rationally expected to prepare for. And so these bridesmaids that go around in their wedding finery, lugging around extra jugs of oil, look pretty foolish. And from Christ's perspective, it's hard to say that they look very good either. Because just like the foolish bridesmaids, they all fall asleep. All ten of them are asleep. And when they're awoken at midnight and the ones without oil plead to share the oil, the ones who have it give an answer that doesn't really seem to jive with much of Jesus' teaching. Jesus says, when someone asks for your coat, give him your shirt also. Not when someone asks for your coat, keep your shirt and keep your coat. And keep a couple extra coats too, just in case. And the advice that they give these other bridesmaids is at best ridiculous, if not cruelly misleading. Don't stay here and hope that the bridegroom might understand that he was crazy late and you ran out of oil. Instead, leave. Go off on a fool's errand. Go find an oil dealer who's open at midnight. Buy oil and get back in time. Instead of staying here and hoping that the bridegroom will have mercy on you. Now, it is, however, in the end, the bridesmaids that give that advice, that do all that, who are admitted to the feast and the others who are kept out. Now, at this point, we don't need to really concern ourselves with the exact nature of what this banquet is or what it symbolizes or what it means ultimately to be admitted to it or barred from it, because the point Jesus is making is that a judgment has been made, a line has been drawn. But the judgment hasn't been made when we thought it was, and it's certainly not been made on the criteria that we would assume, because it's the more practical, seemingly nice bridesmaids who are kept out, and the fussy, kind of nasty bridesmaids that are let in, and all the bridesmaids fell asleep, and all the bridesmaids think that it's on the basis of how much oil they have that they'll be let into the banquet or not. And yet the judgment that happens at the gate at midnight is not the bridegroom judging the bridesmaids. Because remember, these ten have not come there to audition for the role of bridesmaid. They are already bridesmaids. They have already received an invitation to the wedding feast. They have already been judged worthy, not just to attend the banquet, But to be members of the bridal party. There is already in this banquet seats reserved for them at the head table. The judgment that occurs of the bridesmaids happened long before. They were not judged on their wisdom or their goodness or their wakefulness or on how much oil they had because they were bridesmaids at the beginning of the story before any of that happened. What happens at the gate at midnight, rather, is the revelation of the bridesmaid's judgment on the bridegroom. Those who have stayed there, even though they may be very humanly flawed, even though they may be very mistaken about their need to impress the bridegroom with how much oil they have, they have nevertheless trusted that the bridegroom would show up that the bridegroom would be as good as his word, that the bridegroom would keep his promise, that he would honor their invitation. And I'd be willing to bet that when he did come, they strode joyfully into that banquet, leaving behind and forgetting all about their jugs of extra oil at the door. But those who went away, either foolishly or on bad advice, they have judged the bridegroom to not be trustworthy. They have decided that they can't depend on the bridegroom to let them in since they've run out of oil, that he won't be as good as his word, that he won't keep his promise. And so they have gone off to find oil for themselves, to prove themselves worthy, to guarantee their own entrance into the banquet without having to resort depending on the goodwill of the bridegroom. He does not know them because they did not know him. For if they had known him, they would have known that he was most of all a keeper of promises, that he was as good as his word, that they would be welcome where he had promised to welcome them with or without oil. We too wait for the bridegroom to come with the cry of command and the archangel's call and the sound of God's trumpet. The question is, do we wait with trepidation, fussing and fretting about how much oil we have, about whether our lamps are full enough with wisdom and with goodness and even with faith. And fret we should if those things are what determine our entrance into the banquet. For our wisdom will always prove foolishness, and our goodness will always go astray, and even our faith will always strain to stay awake as the bridegroom tarries. But if instead we trust that it is not our stock of oil at the midnight of our life or of this world that guarantees our entrance, but rather it is the invitation issued to us at the death and resurrection of Jesus, that it is not our wisdom or our goodness or even our faith that saves us, but that it is Christ himself that saves us then we may await that day with a hope that never tires of growing in wisdom and goodness and faith. We may look for that yet unknown day and hour to come without the drowsiness of fear, but rather always a light with a joy which will burn brightly into eternity.